John, I think you've cursed me. I haven't cursed you. Why do you think I've cursed you? I would never curse you. I love you too much. I Because I, I have everything about my audio setup this week was brand new. I have a new microphone. I've replaced all the cables. I have a new mic preamp. I have a new audio interface. Um, because I thought the problem with the crackling in the previous shows might have been the USB ports on my Mac, I bought a Thunderbolt dock, which all of that goes into, so it's going nowhere near the USB ports. And the only thing in my equipment for this week that has been used ever before was the microphone stand, and as I sat down to record, it broke. <laughs> I don't know, Scotty. That sounds like a sure sign from 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 God herself. <laughs> and so now I've been out to my garage and I found a really old microphone. I think it was probably last used by the uh, microphone stand. I think it was probably last used by the Beatles on one of their tours. Um, <laughs> And it's uh, it's really it doesn't actually even stand straight. And the only way I'm getting to it to stay in place is to um, uh, it, I've got it leaning sort of against the desk. And there's a big piece of um, well, we call it blue tack here. I don't know what you call it. That sort of yeah. gummy yeah, stuff yeah. you use to put posters on the wall. Um, yeah, making sure that it doesn't slide anywhere. I think so. There we are. That's my pro setup. Well, I think that you need to to post a picture of this in the show notes, and somehow I can dig up the uh, milk carton that we used as a mic stand many years ago in Atlanta. So lest y'all out there think that we, you know, that we just put this together and everything works effortlessly, you should know that that we, it's blood, sweat, and tears to produce this podcast, and we do it because we love y'all. So, um. Last week, John, you were um, having some troubles with a few things with the um, iOS 8 SDK and being limited on your access to pictures. Have you made any progress on that this week? I did. So uh, I guess two things. Uh, the first problem was, yeah, you know, that uh, the API completely changed or I shouldn't say the API changed. They, they made a last minute change for those uh, catching up so that the, the, the essentially the camera roll, the main camera roll for an iPhone user's photo library disappeared in iOS 8. So if you were using AL Assets Library to be able to enumerate the contents of a photo library, you were basically only accessing a couple hundred photos, which are the most recent ones. And if you want to get to all your photos, you have to use uh, the the photos kit. So uh, there's the PH asset class, which does let, in fact let you enumerate. And in fact, it's a much better API than AL asset. Um, I was incorrect in some of the things I said last week in terms of, of, of how you get to metadata. It's, it's really, you know, it, it's exactly the same. You can ask for the, if anything, it's a little bit easier. Um, you can just ask for its location. You don't have to do this value for property key thing um, so that they are in fact much more complete um, and you can hold on to them. The only problem, though, is that that this is API that only exists in iOS eight, and since the uptake to eight has been slower than seven, it's not. It left me with a conundrum um, of how to support both, and uh, so I found a way to do it because I already created my own, um, uh, you know, asset library manager, um, and and so it was easy enough in 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 the initialization methods to kind of figure out which APIs are available and, and therefore to to know which path, code path to use. But the tricky thing is that AL asset you know, basically it was built for a world where all the files are, are absolutely on the device. Whereas one of the problems that Photos Kit, you know, PhotoKit tries to solve is how do you deal with photo libraries where the, the you know the actual file itself may be on the cloud somewhere and you have metadata about that photo, but you may not actually have the file itself. So 
all the all the API for that is asynchronous. You can't just ask the a pH asset for its thumbnail like you can for uh, with uh, an AL asset. So you basically have to, you know, ask for it and you 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 make a request and your block um, your block gets called afterwards. Um, and so you know that left me with the issue of 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 either having to to abandon iOS seven or adapt and and make my own AL asset. You know, not sorry, my own um, FN asset class. Uh, you know, kind of work with both, and so I had to adapt in my code the the kind of asynchronous method, so that you know, if if my 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 FN asset class is backed by an AL asset, I can return the thumbnail right away in the block. If if it's a PH asset that's behind it, well, then I call PH assets, you know, background you know method and return its block result in my block result. Um, so it, it wasn't that hard to do, but it, it kind of brought up a, a question. I, I was very very glad to have made my own class for for managing assets and my own asset model class um, because it allowed me to, to, to make this switch pretty painlessly. Um, it would be really suck, sucky if, if everywhere I had to deal with, with, with an asset, um, which is lots of different places as you might imagine, I had to make those method changes and really only had to change a couple of places. Um, and the implementation and the rest of my code was none the wiser. So I felt good for having 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 made the investment to do it the, that way the first time. Um, I will say, though, that uh, it was a, a little bit... Uh, a little harrowing. I wouldn't say harrowing, but it's kind of a, a little bit of annoying because, it, it, you know, this is at some point Apple made his decisions. Ah, we don't need a whole photo library, and this is the kind of case where I wish I could just reach out and ask Apple, um, but I can't. But that was the, so. That was the, my success. My my grr, and I should probably <laughs> link to my 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 tweet because I just I got so fed up with with the with iTunes Connect and the new test flight. Um, for it not being fully fleshed out yet, that I just I, I tweeted, I'm so over you know wasting time with iTunes Connect, and somebody wake me up when when the promise is actually fulfilled. And and the fundamental issue that I was having is, you know, right now if you are you know when you're developing using the latest Xcode, in order to submit the app to the store to be able to submit it to the beta, you have to be able to have an iTunes Connect account uh, that you use with it. And the problem that you know that that I think more than a few people face is that if you as a developer have your own iTunes Connect account associated with your Apple ID and you have apps in the App Store or you know have a, an iTunes Connect account you really can only have one iTunes Connect account that allows you to to you know modify you know your app and make submissions to it then if you use that same Apple ID for let's say you you have a, a day job uh, and it, you you cannot basically join an iTunes Connect using an iTunes account using your existing Apple ID. Um, it just basically won't let you do it, which then makes for a world of suck. Um, because if you're trying to use Test Flight, for example, if you submit an app on you know for 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 use with Test Flight, the only people who can use Test Flight right now are iTunes Connect technical users. So that means that in order to become an iTunes Connect technical user, you have to then generate a new Apple ID. But of course, you can't sign out of Test Flight on your device and use another Apple ID. You can only use the system Apple ID. And I'm not no one's going to basically switch out their main Apple ID just to be able to, you know, with all the hassle that entails, just to be able to to to, to beta test your app. So basically what I'm saying is that until the the Test Flight service that the Apple has implemented is actually available to arbitrary Apple IDs. So in other words, the general public, they don't have to be iTunes Connect, you know, technical users on your team. 
it's it's just a, a world of, of frustration and disappointment and which which kind of I wouldn't have cared so much were it not for the fact that I ended up, you know, pulling out all the hockey app stuff and and no slag against hockey app. Hockey app is great, but you know, if you're not you're gonna I've, I thought that I was gonna stop using it, but in fact I'm not. So it's back to hockey app with me uh, until Apple's test flight uh, you know is sorted out. So I don't know. I don't know whether you've tried it, but I found it, you know, that I found far more frustrating than than having to, to to play around with you know and adapt to different APIs and maintain a backwards compatibility. So, is there going to be? Um, do we know if this is going to be lifted eventually, and this is just a temporary? Well, it's in beta thing, or is it always going to be? No, that you have to have. No, no, it's not a technical ID. No, no. I mean that that was the big promise. Remember, that was to me that was a a, a tentpole feature for developers of of iOS eight. And but they they haven't said when, right? And Apple, as we know, has been a little bit preoccupied recently with with their own kind of QA issues. So who knows when that? You know, maybe it will happen tomorrow. Maybe somebody's listening. Maybe Tim will press the button. Tim, if you're listening to this, press the button and 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 make test flight distribution by a arbitrary Apple ID a, a reality. Because it, it really it you know if it actually does happen, or I should say when. But you know, assuming it actually happens, it really is a game changer for developers because. Dealing with with you know as you know dealing with with device you know identifiers is a pain in the butt and having to have them fixed to a device instead of to an Apple ID is also a world of suck and so the thought of having pools of one thousand Apple ID users per app and they don't kind of stick around you can you can change up your user you know your test space uh, it, it is huge just when it happens <laughs> so yeah it sounds like it's um, you know really. This will be up and working and, and ready for iOS nine. Really, I hope I hope it's not that long. I really do. Well, just think you've not had it at all up until now, so yeah. it's 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 uh, just just pretend it doesn't exist yet. Yes, but then it makes me feel like a fool because I was coming back after WWC and just saying this is going to be so awesome. It's going to bring. It's going to completely change the way that we develop apps. And there, everybody's looking at me. Yeah, right. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I will. I will. You, you weren't the cynic in the room just for a change, and now you've gone down. In oh flames. God, yes, absolutely. I'm never. Gonna, yeah, and I, I will say about this: it's like you know, there there are lots of of challenges with Android, but you know, provisioning and developing and deploying and testing an app is not one of them. No, I mean the about the only, um, I guess, potentially confusing. Uh, a little bit is to go and find the uh, option in the settings, which I think is oh, hidden yeah, yeah, in um, yeah. KitKat onwards, to to allow the device to um, have apps put on it across a USB cable yeah. um, from the environment. And and but once you've done that, actually, that's it. Running on the device is easy. Um, sending it around for other people to use on the device yeah. is is easy. Uh, just e- um, even yeah, even installation through email. I mean, the, the the other thing too is kind of like the setting for allow apps that aren't through the Play Store, not even via USB. You just email the the the, the, the archive. Anyway, not enough to make me. Ex- which of course creates a whole bunch of issues like. You know, people can get your app and just send it to each other and, and all that sort of stuff. But um, having this discussion uh, last night in the pub with a, a, um, our good friend Simon Wolf, actually, ah. um, about how, you know, before the App Store on the Mac and on iOS, you know, you could just take, and even now for people who don't ship apps in the App Store, you can just take an app and send it to somebody and they can just use it. Piracy was always there. And 
our advice to people in those days was don't worry about it there's nothing you can do about it just just keep making a good app and people will buy it and just the pirates will just do what the pirates do um and so why would that be any different mm. so wait you saw simon wolf which means that simon wolf is alive and if simon wolf is listening to this simon wolf you're about to end up on my chit list for not responding to my email just so you know Oh, I see. So this is now your personal get in touch with people podcast. Pretty much, yeah. Anyone, any, anyone else you, you know, long lost distant relative you need to get hold of that just might be listening? <laughs> no, it's Tim Cook. Is Auntie Mabel? Is Auntie Mabel out there? Hello, calling Auntie Mabel. John would like to speak to you. He apologizes for not responding to all those letters over the years. Yes, and if my mom is listening, I am eating my vegetables. <laughs> Oh dear! How was oh, your dear. How was your week, Mister Scotty? I hope you had more success than me, aside from your audio fiasco. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I've had a mix. I've been doing documentation, and when you're doing documentation, um, it's really hard to focus for eight nine hours a day on documentation. So you always you're always trying to find that little little thing to do just to distract you for ten minutes or twenty minutes, you know, sort of every hour or so, just just for a break. Um, so I had fun putting together my um, new setup. Um, I've uh, I now run a, a Thunderbolt dock off of my um, MacBook Air, uh, and my office is in a room off the side of my house, my old uh, what used to be my garage, and um, uh, so I put a Wi-Fi extender in here a few a couple of months ago because it was struggling to pick up the Wi-Fi router that was in the house. So it's one of these ones that creates your own little um, uh, hotspot in, in where you are and then runs a direct link to the router down the electricity cables. And so uh, it runs out of a, a wall socket in straight in, into from a cable straight into the uh, the router. So that made it quite good out here. Uh, but I've got a couple of machines in my office here, and obviously when I've copied anything between them, it goes across the Wi-Fi. So one of the nice things about on the, um, the uh, Thunderbolt dock is it's got a gigabit um, Ethernet port on it as well and, and I, one of the things that's amazing about thunderbolt is i'm running my 30 inch monitor it's running three usb3 um usb sockets it's running an audio device and it's running a gigabit uh ethernet thing and it's not even overloading any of it so thunderbolt's quite good really um but anyway just moving so i thought oh i'm just going to stick a wired connection in between my mac mini and my um laptop in the office so i went to buy a um a switch a uh, little five port switch from Netgear and I haven't bought anything like that for oh a long time and I think the last time I went out and bought a switch I think I bought an eight port 100 meg switch and it cost me probably close to 350 400 dollars um, so when I picked up a, uh, a Netgear um, gigabit five port switch for about I think it in dollars probably about 12 dollars <laughs> I was quite impressed that that's how cheap this stuff I got now <laughs> Um, but it did remind me, we do all this stuff on Wi-Fi, but copying between my laptop and the Mac Mini is probably five to seven times faster across the wire than it is across the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's still, um, you know, it's maybe we think, you know, wires, wires still have their place. Indeed, indeed. Anyway, so that was my distraction, running cables, and I, I tied up my office, so um, there we are, and it's... um. So it's all nice and tidy. So do you now find that you have newfound respect for Tim Eisted for, for being able to crank out documentation that's beautiful? Oh, it's it's just um yes, I do. People who write documentation well, um 
which I am not one of them, which is partly why it's quite hard work for me. I have to really focus. It's not a natural thing for me to be doing. Um, people who crank out documentation well um, are to be admired, but actually there are very few of them around. I mean, we're looking to employ people to do documentation and we just can't find anybody. Mm. It's because uh, nobody nobody wants to uh, to write documentation. No. Um, other than the, the few rare people like Tim, who's very good at it. So, uh, so there we are. So uh, this week, I think it was actually only um, yesterday, Monday, uh, blog post on um, Brent Simmons' blog. Um, Brent Simmons is of Q Branch and the Vesper app. Um, been around for donkey's years. Was the developer behind the original developer behind Net Newswire and um, Mars Edit before Daniel Jalkett took it over. Um, said he was going to work for Omni. Really? Um, so first, first of all, congratulations to them both. Um, you know, uh, Brent is well known for his love of Mac apps more than iOS. Um, he, he likes iOS, but he, he has an absolute passion for Mac apps and detail and Omni produce great Mac apps and they love details. And um, so I should imagine they're going to be a good fit with one another that, that is, um, employer and employee there. Um, but it, he didn't say it just totally explicitly, but it was fairly obvious from some of the comments in the post that the reason he's taken a job with Omni is he needed more money. Mm. Um, and that just brought me back to this discussion that here we are, we have someone who's producing a very successful iOS app um, that charges what is considered a reasonable price for it these days, $5, I think Vesper is, which I know is peanuts, but by App Store standards, that's mm. considered a premium app. Um, it's being developed by one of the best known developers uh, in our community. And even outside of that, you know, the, the front man of the company, the public face of the company, the advertiser is, is John Gruber, right. who, you know, is probably the best known, um, pundits in the Mac industry. I, I think, I think that's probably fair mm -hmm. to say. Um, and they can't make a living. That, What's that tell us? Yeah, that, that's, that, you know, I, part of me says I'm not at all surprised. And part of me is like, wow, if they can't, who on earth can? Because, you know, Gruber, as far as I know, and I could be completely wrong, but, you know, just based on his rates, and I've seen them rise over the years and knowing that he does advertising, I believe he makes, earns a very, very comfortable living. And so, and I have to imagine that whatever the agreement between them, that you know, you could even say, "Well, I'll give all the money, all the proceeds to to to, to Dave Whiskus, the designer, and 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 Brent, the, the the engineer." And I'm kind of amazed at that. That you know, to, I don't want to like do stupid calculations, but you kind of have to imagine with that mouthpiece. That that press, you know, you got to at least to be able to to get close to a hundred thousand paid users. That's uh, that's kind of surprising. Yeah, so it's um, it, it is interesting, and it was Brent who started the discussion on his blog a couple of months ago. Now that that, that fired off a whole bunch of people doing their um, revealing the numbers posts, um, and and the reality was it just did demonstrate that there are very few people making a living out of iOS, mm. uh, as in their own iOS apps. Lots of people are making a living out of writing iOS right. apps for other people, for corporates, wow. for 
um, for startups and all that sort of thing. Um, and that's great. But very few people are making a living from iOS apps. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm still, uh, you know, I'm going to put stuff out here that, that I actually think if you want to make a living as an indie, then really you need to be looking at the Mac. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the best place. To, now, there's, there's downsides to that. Producing a Mac app is probably, I would say, at least five times and probably realistically maybe even ten times more work than doing an iOS app. You just just yeah. by if you're doing everything really well, so uh, I think the reason people go for iOS is you know um, it still amazes me that people say I've just released my app after a year, uh, and it's like okay, um, and I do know people who've been developing Mac apps for three or four years and not release them yet, but that's a, a mistake as far as I'm concerned. So there is a bigger investment, but I think you look at the people who. Um, who I'm considering are being really quite successful as indies or have the appearance of being. Um, and by successful, I mean, they're not having to contract. I'm not saying they're living, you know, a lifestyle with Lamborghinis and, um, you know, six mansions, but that, you know, they're supporting their family. I think Jeeva DeVoe once said, the real sign that you've made it as an indie is if you've got health insurance. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's, uh, that's only for our American <laughs> listeners. That's true. Yeah, Sad, but true. So, um, uh, you know, but the people like uh, Daniel Jelkert with Mars Edit and Gus Muller with Acorn, and um, there was Kevin Hochter with Moneywell, um, Peter Ronvley with Sketches. These these guys are all selling Mac apps, and not just selling Mac apps. They're selling Mac apps that are retailing for sort of high thirties to low fifty dollar mark. Um, so seriously. Um, uh, reasonably complex, export people term expensive applications. Those people seem to be making a living. Um, you know, outside of that, it seems to be quite difficult for people. I mean, I know we don't know everybody, but this is a whole um, aspect again that everybody wants to live. No, let's rephrase that. Not everybody wants to live the indie dream, but lots of people for them, the indie dream is, is something they aspire to. And, and uh, the reality is, just being a good developer doesn't look like it's it's enough. Mm. That's it. I say all of that for what two, three, four minutes, and and your response for our listeners is mm. no. I, I'm just I'm I'm sitting here thinking it. It, it you know, and I, I I I kind of hate to say it, but I mean, you and I got not into an argument, but you know, I, when I I gave my talk in Amsterdam two two summers ago, I kind of said that you you know the indie dream people get hung up about the definition of it, but you know the, the to me the the important thing is are you working on stuff that you you care about with people you care about, and do you have the freedoms that 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 people associate with it, and maybe you have to have a combination of stuff. I mean, to me, it's it's hard to imagine how you do it without a significant amount of consulting. You know, and and maybe and if that's the case, then then you have to try and arrange things so that what you do consulting work feeds into to, to what your passionate work is, and that you can you know that I don't know. I, I just think that that it, it still brings up the larger question, which we've talked about is is you know is software development how many for how many more years will it be considered this this special sufficiently specialized skill and that 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 you can earn a living just because you can do that and i would say it's not not a whole lot of many years yeah and of course one of the things with software um 
when you can make it work is, is the point that you don't have to be it's not like you're a manufacturer that you need to produce something every day in order to have something to sell the next day um maybe days are not the, the right way right. But, you know you can produce something and then live off the proceeds of that something you spent time producing for a a period of time before it has to be updated or doing anything else so it's it's quite um uh unique really is a is something that you sell um because of the i guess music would be similar and then maybe video um because of this is this produce once sell many times yeah. the nature of it which means if you can get it to work it's a great way to do things it's awesome um but uh and, it, and there's this complete sense of satisfaction but yeah I, it's there's I don't think this is just a problem because the phone, uh, because of the, the the race to the bottom, as we always call it on the App Store. I think, you know, the the phone is a casual device, and it encourages you to have a throwaway attitude towards it anyway. Um, just by even the fact, I mean, how what, you know, can you think of anything else that you would spend, you know, a thousand dollars on an item that you're expecting to only keep for two years? And even though it will be perfectly fine in two years' time, perfectly usable in two years' time, you've already buy it with that whole thing that it, it, I'm keeping it for two years and then I'll buy another one, mm. whether this one works or not. Um, and so just that whole thing about phones itself create this, this disposable, moving on type of attitude. So I, I'm not. it doesn't surprise me that people treat software on the phone exactly that way. But there are still serious problems Um out there in the world that need software to make them easier to solve their solution um, uh, on, on the day to day on your computer. You don't sit and work on your phone all day. Most people, you don't. People don't. People don't go into their office and then um, use their iPad all day. Maybe some executives do for because they're in doing email. But you know, lots of people's jobs these days. Um, if you're an administrator, if you, um, yeah, you know, if you're in, in law or anything, you're sat down using software of some form to help you and assist you with your job. And there must be still, I believe, hundreds, if not thousands, of totally untapped markets and untapped problems still to solve. Um, but this this sort of feeling now that if I can't produce a piece of software in three months and then make my living off it, then you know, it can't be done, um, is not something we used to used to live that way. It, it, that's that's a you know a, a, an iPhone era phenomenon. Before that, people would expect to if I have to graft away on a piece of Mac software. I mean, how long did you did you work on Memory Miner before you even considered that maybe you could not have a day job for a little while while you focused on it? At, at least a year, and when I was working on it for for one year, I did some consulting work because I, I didn't I I wanted to kind of have those relationships in place, but I I kind of gave myself a year to to work on it uh, to be able because it it was it was a it was and still is kind of it's a pretty big piece of software so um, and even just yeah even just to get to a credible one point you know it, it, this is funny because you know in terms of of, of something that I, I wonder if it's a success i i needed something to to deduplicate my disk i was like running out of space and uh so i just searched and and came across something in the app store called uh duplicate detective it's a very it was a it was three dollars on the on the app store and it was supposed to be on sales but so i don't even know what the regular price for it but this is the case it was extremely well done did one thing did it perfectly well 
had sense of humor for it, and, you know, because it had these things that would take a long time to do. And after it had saved you, after it delivered value for it, knowing that this would probably be the one time you would use it until, you know, for, for months. So it's not a, I'm going to use it every day. They totally hit you up there to share it on Twitter, Facebook, on the App Store. It was extremely well done. I was happy to do it because I was in such a glorious mood. So, you know, while we've all been, you know, kind of saying, oh no, there's no way of doing it, you do have to remind yourself that, that there, there are cases where you, you, if you deliver, you know, great value to a customer and you, and at the moment when you've done that, you, you can really kind of surf it, <laughs> surf that goodwill in order to get new customers. And I, I get the feeling now I have no idea. I don't know. The developer didn't recognize them, but I'd have to hope and believe that here's a case of somebody does have a product and, and they had several products. And, 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 and I hope, I hope, I hope that that person um, or group of people are able to, to, to live from their apps. So do I, so do I. Well, John, that's been, um, uh, Fun. So, um, if people want to get a hold of you, where uh, where should they do it? Well, you can always find me on Findery as John Fox, and you can find me on the Twitters as Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. And you can find out all about my product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. Uh, my name is Scotty. You can find me on Twitter as Mac Devnet. You will find information about this show at iDeveloper.co, where you can also sign up by email to receive the show notes by email, so you don't even have to go and check them out each week. Um, had some good feedback on that. People seem to like that. Um, and you can check out my personal blog at wafflewithmeaning.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hopefully this week we have been crackle-free. <laughs> you haven't been hearing any crackle, have you, John? No, it's been a distinct lack of crackle. Oh, distinct lack of crackle. So... From the wobbly microphone stand, this is us saying thank you very much for listening, and until next time, you take care. Thank you.